We are making significant investments. We are um, expanding our U.S. footprint right now. Our Waller facility is now being expanded to be able to uh, assemble and test run up to eight crank compressors. So those are like close to 10,000 horsepower machines to support the local U.S. market. So we are making a really strong commitment to the North American, to the U.S. market. Of course, also based on the IRA um, support we are seeing already in the market. Welcome to the Gas Compression Podcast. This is the only podcast out there for professionals working in the gas compression industry. Each week, we'll be bringing you interviews and discussions with some of the leaders in the industry to discuss the latest trends and what the future holds. If you're working in the gas compression industry and have always wanted to sit down with the leaders in in our field to pick their brain, this show is your chance. This episode is brought to you by DISCO. That stands for Diversified Industrial Services Company. We recondition and repair gas compressor cylinders and all their components, as well as rotary screw compressors. If you're looking for a top-notch partner for compressor repair needs, then give us a call. 806-274-2214 or visit us online at disco-inc.com. Welcome back to the Gas Compression Podcast. Uh, today is a big day. We got two firsts. So I got my first guest from outside the United States. Uh, Oliver Franz is joining me from Germany. And uh, we're talking about hydrogen, which we've never talked about before. So uh, exciting, exciting day for the Gas Compression Podcast. So Oliver, welcome. Hey, Glad to thank have you. you, Michael. Great yeah. to be here. Thank you very much. So Oliver uh, works for Burkhardt Compression. He is the sales manager for the H2, the mobility and... How would you say it? Hydrogen for mobility and energy, we call this. Yes, correct. Yeah, perfect. So uh, he graduated from the University of Paderborn in 2000 with a diploma in chemical engineering and has held different positions at a German EPC company as a key account manager with a major pump and compressor OEM before coming to Burkhart in 2007. And in January 22, you moved over into the hydrogen side of, of life. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. Thank you for the nice intro. Thank you. You're welcome. You bet. So I, most of the listeners to this podcast are, we're in the natural gas compression world. And so I, that's why I thought it was really cool to kind of come in and let's talk about hydrogen and compression. But before we get there, I'd like to just know, because that's not, that's not something in my world. I'm in West Texas. There are no, no one's talking about hydrogen. There's no fuel stations there, the only time I see hydrogen is the gas compression magazine. That's the only time I hear about it. So when I was a student at Texas Tech 20 years ago, I remember the, the engineering department, they got some kind of grant and they had a little hydrogen car that would go 20 miles an hour around campus. And it was a big deal. You know, the hydrogen car, it would only go 20 miles an hour and had lots of mechanical limitations, but they still got it to run. So where are we with hydrogen and why is Burkhart and other companies making such a massive investment towards it and, and the future of it? So where, where are we with hydrogen? Yeah, no, thank you. First of all, really, thank you very much for having me on the call here right now in this podcast. Quite an honor to be here. Uh, the first hydrogen uh, participant in this role, really nice. Um, yeah. Yeah, where are we with hydrogen? So hydrogen is a really well-known 
Um, industry gas, so it's uh, widely used in the industry today in millions and millions of tons today in industrial application, first and foremost, say refinery applications, and then also the ammonia production, as well as methanol, um, which could be all green methanol, all these types, but it's been widely known in the industry. It's a quite well-known gas. It now really sees this hype because there is an alternative way to produce it to greenify a lot of the industries as well as the transport sector. In many cases, you brought it up, um, there has been these early phases, early adoptions of putting hydrogen in cars to uh, drive them. This is probably, and will probably for the foreseeable future be only a very small fraction of hydrogen being used um, from a for the transportation sector itself. So the, the vast amounts that we see happening is really in industrial application, heavy duty, um, transportation applications, which could be trucks, trains, ships even, um, and then really to substitute the industrial use to hydrogen in, even in the refinery, steel industry, make it green ammonia, green fertilizers. This is the big hype we see right now. And this is also where beyond the pure transportation filler car applications, we see tremendous potential for us and all really OEMs around us, really a fantastic time. You mentioned that that there's an alternate way to produce it. So what what is that? How are you? How are you? How are, is hydrogen being produced? Yeah, in today's world, these multi-million tons a year is typically made out of so-called an SMR, steam-enhanced methane reforming. This is the typical standard industry way of producing hydrogen, which takes natural gas steam and at a very high temperature to um, recombine this to become pure hydrogen and then CO2 as a byproduct. This, of course, if we're talking CO2, talking carbon intensity and natural gas as the carbon source to begin with or the hydrogen source to begin with uh, has a pretty um, low carbon intensity uh, or like very high carbon footprint, if you will. To get away from this, there's a big driver in the industry right now to look for low CI. Um, applications. And if you want to produce hydrogen in a greener way, the alternative to SMR production is, for example, electrolyzer production, or even so that's an electrolyzer. You've probably seen that in the physics school in the past, we have a, a plus and a minus pole in producing hydrogen and oxygen to decompose water to its two component, hydrogen and oxygen. This is the traditional electrolyzer way. There are different ways to do this that could be a purely green production if the electrolysis if the is powered by green power by wind solar uh, water powered electricity for example so that's the alternative there are are we there yet on a industrial or or, or global scale that we could produce hydrogen without natural gas um, the technology is there but the capacities are not there by far so there is different ways how you have to look at that. If we think about, say, uh, green, putting a greener envelope around ammonia, fertilizer business, that may be something probably more easily achievable, even though the amounts are vast. So it takes a lot of green electricity to produce all these. And then there is a shortage right now on the components, whether the electrolysis itself, it's the compressors that would take to produce the high pressure gases needed, um, as well as the sheer amount of electricity through wind, solar, water is not there in the grid right now. On the other hand, there is certain applications um, in the refinery sector. If there is a tendency towards more 
hydrogen powered car, there's less need for fuel, but this is, this is not available today. It's the very beginning, probably talking the low digit percentage um, of low digit percentage of capacity that's available in the industry today. Um, and even the next few years, this will not replace our today's way of making hydrogen and using it. Yeah. So obviously there's a massive, massive incentive and push to use hydrogen because it's greener, has a less of a carbon footprint. Are there other, are there other advantages of using hydrogen as a fuel source? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was thinking about the the conversion uh, that we see right now in the in the transportation, when it comes to electric cars. Great technology. It is found it's some really good adoption in the market. Even here in in Europe and North America, I see so many electric cars, which comes with the with the downside of taking the refueling, repowering times at the stations. So this is really where hydrogen brings a major. Uh, benefit so it really comes down to the refueling and the range of a vehicle is very comparable to today's gasoline powered cars mm -hmm. so you approach a gas station it's a very standard process you refuel the car with six seven eight kilogram of hydrogen takes a few minutes and you're up uh, to travel again you have you're back up with some more 500 miles in the tank uh, to get this you have to drink quite a few coffees to refuel your electric cars <laughs> at the, at the uh, even at the power charge, it takes quite a bit of time. I, I have to ask because I've never ridden in a, a hydrogen car, but does it, is there not a, it just seems like the question would be, is there not a risk of this thing blowing up? Like you've got compressed hydrogen in here. What's the risk of, you know, a car blowing up as you're go as you're driving down the road? Yeah, probably I'm not the right one to, to, Finally, answer this. The there is a very very sophisticated tank system in those, so they are crash tested. It's a I think the carbon fiber reinforced, very high pressure, thousand bar tested tank, thousand bar because you need to have the, the containment of a high mass of hydrogen that needs very high pressures. Yeah. Typically loaded up to seven hundred bar in the vehicle, so the limit is to seven hundred bar filling pressure on those vehicles. Um, I mean nothing's without risk, but this is right. really well. Um, evaluate the same comes down to, to batteries and battery powered cars and even in um, gasoline powered cars the tank is a critical component which is probably even more so investigated on hydrogen cars to be safe and the same comes down to whether it's individual passenger cars or even larger applications like a truck an engine or even like a ship probably ships don't have that heavy a crash but right. on the car that's the one thing that probably passengers are most concerned about yeah, yeah. Great. So let's let's kind of switch over and start talking about the the act of compressing of compressing hydrogen and moving it around and storing it. And so, what is what is kind of the the difference? Because most of our listeners are in the natural gas world. What is uh, what are some similarities and some differences in compressing and storing gas, uh, natural gas versus hydrogen? Yeah, probably starting off with some similarities. So typically hydrogen as well as natural gas needs to be compressed to contain appropriate amounts of energy per volume. So that really is the reason why we compress gas to move it from A to B as well as to increase the volumetric energy content in a certain given volume. So that's, a, that's definitely a similarity. Uh, a big difference is the molecular weight. So 
Natural gas comes with a molecular weight of 16. Hydrogen is the lightest gas available with a mole weight of only two. And this adds a lot of complication to any following process with this gas compression because the molecules are so small, they have a tendency to leak through whatever small leakage gaps there are. Uh, and this combined with a typical compression concept whether it's a reciprocating compressor uh, that would work most uh, or best on a hydrogen application requiring often case non-lubricated compression systems. On natural gas, you would typically use a lubricated system. So you have mm -hmm. lube oil in the compression system, making it all much easier to compress. But the cleanliness and the purity demands on hydrogen for subsequent fuel cell users or even medical grade users requires to go non-lubricated. So we run the cylinders non-lubricated, which puts more complication on the compression system to seal well, even though the molecules are so much smaller. That is one of the key challenges we see. Plus, in natural gas, we typically don't handle 7, 800, 900 bar pressures. Um, so we combine the smallest molecule with very high pressure in a non-loop service. That's a lot of complication on top of each other. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm assuming that you mentioned reciprocating compression. So that's what you're, you're using, what our audience would know is just reciprocating compressors to move the gas. Yeah, so there are, from the typical compression systems, we're talking like natural gas pipeline compression could be a recipe, but oftentimes it's also a centrifugal compressor, mm -hmm. uh, multi-stage compressors. Those would not really work on hydrogen because the, the recirculation rate, the gap measures within wouldn't allow for good compression ratios, probably only, 105, 11 per impeller stage or so. Really make it very complex, big machines on the centrifugal side, not really cost effective. Um, so reciprocating compressor is the one way to do this efficiently. Booker compression is uh, in this industry for really large machines, very uh, big applications up to 40,000 horsepower per compressor, but also for very high pressure. So there is different ways to uh, produce very high pressures on hydrogen. Hydraulic piston is one. We also have a diaphragm compressor type, which is a piston type compressor, reciprocating type compressor, using a membrane to be purely to be oil free on the compression side. And then what we really excel at is very large mass flow rate, very high pressure, 550 working towards 900 bar today with non-lubricated machines that deliver very high mass flow rate that you need for heavy duty filling applications. Here we're talking two, three, four, 500 kilogram an hour per machine. That is a lot of flow rate per compressor considering the, the weight of hydrogen. Yeah, so given the low molecule weight and the high pressure, are the, does it depend on the size, does, does, the, does the bore size or the size of the compressor depend on the application or is it kind of in general, these are bigger, you know, like in a natural gas, you've got staged compressors, right? A four stage is real common. Uh, is that the same way in hydrogen or are they all typically pretty big machines, pretty big compressors? Very good question, Michael. So that's probably where we have uh, one of the biggest similarities with the natural gas compression. So we also, for example, when we have an uh, atmospheric electrolyzer producing hydrogen at one bar atmospheric pressure, uh, to say 30 bar compression, we would apply a four stage reciprocated compressor, typically very large piston, horizontal type design, very comparable to a pipeline compressor. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's typically non-lubricated in this case, but when we go up to not to 30, but we're gonna to go to three, four, 500, or even more bar, 
typically we take away the weight of the piston, build these machines in a vertical orientation. So we build a vertical tap compressor and when we reach into very high pressures, the pistons tend to get really small, a few inches, say 60, 70, 80 millimeter for the final stages, for example, to still deliver a really good mass flow, but at a, at a size where the loading of the machine is appropriate to deliver very good run times for a year, year and a half, for example, or two even on the very high pressure ranges. Hmm. <clears throat> what are the internals of the compression of the compressors look like? Like the, the, the piston rings, the packing, is all of that stuff uh, comparable? Like we deal with some air compressor cylinders, they're non-lube, but mm -hmm. the pistons and the, the packing are all similar. But given the low molecule weight, the high pressure, is it same, same as hydrogen? The, the piston rings and the packing, are they comparable? Um, yes and no, I would say. So it's correct. We have a, a ring and packing ceiling concept, of course. Uh, on, if we talk like very high pressure machines, we build those machines in a vertical orientation and we have a very sophisticated ceiling system design. So it's not one ring take, uh, there is not one, um, one ring type across the whole piston assembly. So we have really a set of different rings across the machine, across each um, piston, if you will, mm -hmm. because the biggest challenge that we find in these machines is breaking the dynamics. Say if we go really 500 bar, uh, from 150 to 500 bar in the final stages, there's a lot of peak to peak pressure happening. And we need to really throttle down the dynamic pressure with the front um, throttling of the pressure breaker rings and then have ceiling rings subsequently. There's a very sophisticated design and having this available, that's another complication we have with hydrogen, the, the gas weight and the, um, the CP value of hydrogen is such it, it heats up significantly under compression. So we can't really deliver very high compression ratios until we hit like temperatures 150, 160, close to 170 degrees Celsius. So the ring design of the ring material has to be really sophisticated to withstand the high temperature, the high pressure mechanically, and then uh, thirdly really, and, and, be, and be sealing effective at the end. So this can only be achieved when you build a team of rings from top to bottom on a vertical machine to really deliver a pressure breaking efficiency and then finally a sealing efficiency with good alignment it's a very sophisticated sealing technology in there mm. and the the design as well as the material is an in-house development so we have our core team developing the material blends the compounds as well as the ring design mostly our patented in-house solutions dedicated to the services and we found that to be a important factor to A, deliver the duties we promise and to deliver the runtimes that we would expect from such machine. So all of the all that's all of those internal components are patented and made in-house at Burkhart. Yeah, most of them correct, yes. Wow. Where are most of these machines being built and installed? Is it mostly in Europe or or is it in North America? Yeah, we discussed two different uh, services. Really, you, you asked for the two different services. One is the high mass flow rate, horizontal big machines, really big machines. They could be like eight, 10,000 horsepower in hydrogen service. So most of these are installed in yeah, North America, really, as well as in Southeast Asia. Asia, Korea is a big market for us as well. So those are the, the high volume big machines. And then we see a big market um, with installations 
in North America for heavy duty filling. So those are high pressure 450, 500, 550 bar filling applications with high mass flow rate. Some of those like close to 300 kilogram an hour per compressor. To put that into perspective, 300 kilogram an hour is um, that's 50 cars an hour if cars would be filled with this. Or wow. most of these are filling uh, hydrogen trailers. If a trailer is filled at 500 bar, a single trailer, 500 kilogram could be filled in say less than two hours for, per trailer. Um, the other alternative solution we have for that, a diaphragm compressor. That's a typical range for a smaller diaphragm machine is in the range of 50 kilogram an hour. So uh, one of these vertical frames could replace six of the smaller, if you will. So you have much less footprint, fewer machines, one sturdy big compressor to then deliver the mass flow rate to fill trailers, fill heavy duty uh, buses, trains, which really demand high, high mass flow and uh, really more power to be filled. Hmm. Are there, what are some limitations or some, some uh, difficulties with compressing hydrogen and moving it around? What are some limitations? Yeah, they, the, the one limitation uh, that we, that most applications in hydrogen run into is limitation on temperature. So the, the discharge temperatures is one of the limitations. So we really try to build a most cost-effective package and you asked for the stages before. So we really try, try to reduce the number of compression stages to the minimum possible, but the maximum, the minimum required, but as go as cost-effective as possible into these application services. So we, we may hit temperature limitations around 160, 170 degrees Celsius, where we feel comfortable with the in-house material we have uh, and combine this with the with the loading, the rod loading. Um, so those are the framework. This is the framework in which we play in the hydrogen field to build cost-effective but also lasting solutions. Really, this is um, you ask for the challenge. The challenge is really runtime, mm -hmm. and we we are in this service for hydrogen bottle filling, hydrogen trailer filling. I think since 1995 already. So we have more than. 25 years experience in high pressure hydrogen filling have machines that run a year and a half continuously in the service that is something we couldn't achieve with our own membrane product lines they're probably more made towards two three thousand four thousand hours runtime but the vertical especially the vertical high mass load machines are built to run much longer talking eight ten twelve thousand hours uninterrupted runtime and have lots of experience with this already since plus 25 years, but that is the challenge, combining high temperature, the mass flow with acceptable run times. That's kind of like a framework we are working within and are very happy with the results we're getting from our proprietary ring design and materials. Yeah. Uh, what is, Burkhart is making a, you know, significant investment in hydrogen and moving forward. What, what does the, what does the future you know, this year, next year, five years down the road, do you guys continue to see hydrogen as something that is just leading the way in terms of greener energy? Um, absolutely. So uh, absolutely. And uh, we are making significant investments. We are 
um, expanding our US footprint right now. Our Waller facility is now being expanded to be able to uh, assemble and test run up to eight crank compressors. So those are like close to 10,000 horsepower machines to support the local US market. So we are making a really strong commitment to the North American, to the US market. Of course, also based on the IRA um, support we are seeing already in the market. And there is different aspects to this. One is what we discussed, say the, the fueling aspect of um, heavy duty application that we see coming, but then there is also one way to transport energy from A to B, and that is the uh, the big driver. I think is that a lot of the green energy, as it exists in the grid already, is in is existing in areas where you don't have the consumers for the electricity as well as for the hydrogen certain cases. So transporting energy from A to B is possible in certain cases through a pipeline system, mm -hmm. to substitute some of the natural gas with hydrogen. But what we see right now is for um, from mid-range distances to transport hydrogen in compressed version in trailers, probably something like two, three, four hundred miles. But when you go further on the road, hydrogen liquefaction is a big, a really big market for us and our clients to transport hydrogen in offers the benefit of transporting up to four to five tons per, per haul versus only 500 kilogram in gaseous form. So liquefying hydrogen offers great benefit to travel longer distances with a higher mass flow on a single truck. And yeah. also, so this is a really strong demand we see right now. It needs a lot of big refrigeration compressors that we deliver to the industry. There are some great players in the liquefaction industry uh, with very efficient processes. Still, it's an energy efficient process. Uh, that's where very efficient compression comes into play. I think we have one of the best solutions here and really appreciate the confidence that we are gaining and gathering from the market for our solutions. And then that's hydrogen in its pure form. And then what we see also happening for even longer distance to substitute some of the hydrogen in ammonia production to go green ammonia. So then you kind of like package the hydrogen molecule atom in NH3, which is ammonia, uh, which could be used as fertilizer as well as as um, energy source. So this may be then coming more from South America for longer haul transport into Europe as well as North America. And green methanol can be made from green hydrogen and then forming methanol, um, combining it with CO2 in a dedicated process. So definitely there is different pathways where we see hydrogen as an energy source in, in its very pure state, gadgets, liquid form, pipeline substitution, then green ammonia, green methanol, uh, as other ways. And all of these need big compression. And many of these require a very sophisticated solution, non-lubricated in many cases, demanding very high-end ring sealing solutions. And I mean, we're at the forefront building this industry um, with our partners. So we're really committed to this. We are committed to the US and the global hydrogen industry really. Hmm. When you say committed with your partners, who are those partners? Those are the industry leaders. Some of those are from the old industry. So uh, major oil and gas players in the field of um, also going into green hydrogen, going into uh, substituting their today's refinery processes with green hydrogen, but then also key OEMs, EPCs in the field um, for liquefaction, as well as like on the EPC side to support our industry peers in the oil and gas industry to substitute gray hydrogen from SMR base with greener hydrogen. Um, yeah, and same goes for the um, 
packaging companies and the filling technology going large scale in this case. So really, we, we really focus on the very large scale application, large scale filling, very high mass flow, very high pressures. This is where we have very small units for the diaphragm, smaller scale, one ton per day solution, but really when we go six tons, 15, 20 ton per day, this is where we really have outstanding solutions in the market. And this is where we seek our partners and work with them as closely as we can and support them. Cool. So if uh, anybody wants to find out more about what you're doing, I guess they would go to go to Burkhart or would they go to your LinkedIn or how would folks kind of find out what you're up to? Yeah, exactly. It's the LinkedIn, it's the Instagram, and then on our website, uh, burkhartcompression.com. That's where they find us. And really, in the whole sphere of this sustainable energy, um, I found it myself really thrilling that even from the very top of our company, the CEO, uh, we have a new mid-range plan that goes until 2027. So we made it a major goal of the company to not only in hydrogen, but also in other market sectors to be part of this energy transition. So sustainability is not only in driving our markets, hydrogen being a core pillar of these. Another one is uh, LNG, liquefied natural gas mm -hmm. that you know mm -hmm. really well. Um, and to support our marine customers with LNG boil off gas application. This is another really strong foothold of our company. And then the third pillar is, uh, the solar panel production. Solar panels to produce the electricity we need needs a lot of um, EVA specialty, high pressure produced polymers that for which Burkhardt has dedicated very high pressure machines up to 3,500 3, bar, correct? 3,500 bar ethylene compressors. So really the three key pillars for sustainable energy transition that we support here. And it, it, we have a lot of dedication and a lot of growth behind uh, to support this. Man, that's great to hear. And uh, I appreciate you coming on and educating myself and the rest of the audience on, on hydrogen compression as we're all kind of the natural gas industry here. But look forward to seeing what's, what's coming next. It sounds like you guys are doing wonderful things. So keep up the great work. And thanks for the, thanks for the hydrogen lesson today. Thank you, Michael. Really good discussion. Thank you very much for the questions. Yeah. And if you're in, uh, if you're in Texas anytime, look us up. Thank you. We'll do. Okay. All right. See you later. See you later. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by DISCO. That stands for Diversified Industrial Services Company. We recondition and repair gas compressor cylinders and all their components, as well as rotary screw compressors. If you're looking for a top-notch partner for compressor repair needs, then give us a call. 806-274-2214 or visit us online at disco-inc.com. Dot com.